You're listening to the Fitness and Wellness Class, powered by NASM. NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org connected or call one 800 460 6276. Hello and welcome. My name is Dr. Spickle and it is such a pleasure to spend the next hour with you to explore interoception, the emotional side to fascial fitness. Now this may be a word that you're not familiar with, but I am certain that after this hour, you are going to be excited about this topic and how you can apply it with your clients. As we get started, I wanna, I wanna first give a brief introduction to myself. If you're not familiar with who I am and my background, I am a podiatrist, so I do specialize in feet, but I will connect it to interoception. I am also a human movement specialist. I've been in the fitness industry for over 20 years, and I have contributed to the NASM CES textbook around the foot and ankle section. So that was such a pleasure. And I'm also the founder of EBFA Global, where we explore foot to core sequencing from the ground up and sensory science, as well as the author to Barefoot Strong. So now why I provide that brief introduction is that you understand the lens through which I look at my clients and patients. That helps you to understand that my perspective is very similar to your perspective. I look at the entire body from an integrated perspective. That means that I'm thinking of stress levels, mind-body connections, our sensory interpretation, diet, recovery, so everything that you do as well. So I, re I really want you to appreciate that as we go into this topic. Now, as we go into interoception in this next hour, my goal is that I want you and I challenge you to look at your clients much more than just movement. Is there something that we could be offering our clients that exceeds something that's just external, more than just look at my biceps or look at my abs or I just lost 30 pounds, something that is beyond just this external perspective? We're going to take a deep dive internally and realize that every interaction that we have with our clients is, is really built around a human being, the complexity of that human being, and how we can have an influence on their emotional state, on their happiness, on their quality of life. And we're going to be looking at how movement can do that. There's a deep connection between motion and emotion. So every time we do a movement, you're ultimately affecting the way that you feel. You could probably agree with me that if you're feeling a little bit down or maybe, um, maybe a little anxious or something like that, and you just start moving, you go for a walk or you have a great workout, that movement 
pulls and controls and navigates the way that you're feeling both mentally and emotionally. We're going to take a look at why that is happening, why that is so important, and then how you incorporate that into your sessions. So now here's a huge, huge concept that we want to start with is that emotions the emotional state that you feel, the emotional state that you are in is built around this internal conversation. It's an internal conversation that I'm having with myself and it is based off of this continuous check, a self-check, an internal self-check or what's called homeostasis. Now, homeostasis as a definition is, we're going to go into it, but homeostasis is your internal environment harmony and balance. That's homeostatic, rhythmic, sinusoidal. And you want to uh, reset it almost like a thermometer or temperature gauge, like an air conditioning in a home. As soon as you start to get off of a certain temperature, actions happen to kick in to get you back to that baseline. Same thing happens within our body. We are continuously assessing that environment to feel balanced because that ultimately helps us to feel safe. Okay, let's take a proceed forward. First concept, homeostasis. This is going to be the foundation to interoception. So when we look at homeostasis, this is going to be a self-regulatory process, which is a maintaining internal stability. If I start to feel a little bit of butterflies in my stomach, that means that I'm sensing that my homeostasis is shifted. And then what happens is that I put an interpretation onto that perception. Now that continuous self check of, do I have butterflies in my stomach? It, do I feel palpitations? Is my heart racing? Am I hot? Am I sweating? Do I feel myself flushing? Things like that are built around interoception, which is deeply linked to homeostasis. So homeostasis in your body, your client's body, perception is stability. Just as much as I need to feel stable externally, such as standing on one leg or having balance when I walk, I need to have stability internally to feel safe in my environment. Now, this is first introduced when we are born. We're thrown into this world and oh, we have all these sensory interpretations. Yes, we have externals. We feel cold from the external environment. We hear noise, we see light, but now for the first time, the baby is feeling hunger. They're feeling their heart racing. They feel these different perceptions in the internal environment as well. And those start to create an interpretation. Now, homeostasis is going to be that interpretation of that internal balance that is linked to interoception, which is your viscera or your gut. So if you've ever heard of a gut feeling or a gut sensation or intuition, all of that is within this association of interoception. So the second concept we're going to go over is going to be interoception itself. Now, interoception is different than exteroception. We have two types of environments. We have our external environment that I already mentioned. We have our internal environment that I mentioned. Exteroceptors are the nerve endings that perceive the external environment. 
whereas interoceptors are the nerve endings that perceive the internal environment. Both are important, both are necessary. It's important for you, the trainer and coach, to know how to access both of them. Remember, we need to be balanced in the external environment and we need to be balanced in the internal environment. Now, exteroceptors are a little bit easier for people to understand because as trainers and coaches, we access them all of the time. If I am touching something and it's vibrating or it has a texture to it, I'm stimulating exteroceptors in my hand. If I move a joint and I stimulate my Golgi tendon organs or the muscle spindle, what you're stimulating are proprioceptors, which are a form of an exteroceptor, external environment, movement from an external perspective. So let's take a quick look at touch, tactile receptors as a form of exteroceptors, because guess what? They link to your interoceptors. So if we take a look at our hands and our feet, you have special nerves here. These are referred to as your touch receptors, haptic receptors, or tactile. And these are referenced as mechanoceptors. So proprioceptors are in the joints. Mechanoceptors are the touch in the palm of the hand and the bottom of the feet. Now, touch is a very important stimulus in the sense that it makes you feel safe. Touch is, is referred to as cholinergic. I don't want to keep throwing new words in there, but cholinergic means it activates the brain. It primes the brain and the nervous system for movement and safety. So bringing in sensory from a touch perspective can be very powerful to your programming. Now, if we think of how the touch receptors stimulate your nervous system, it's really through what's called the homunculus. Now your homunculus, this might look like a crazy looking man or woman. If you could see the homunculus is going to be your brain's representation to exteroception, to the external environment. If we look at, take, take a look at the side, we can see that there's big hands, big feet and a big mouth. Those areas that are the largest on this homunculus actually have the largest representation in the brain. So we can see clearly there's big hands on this, this homunculus. The hands are very sensory rich, which means if you're trying to stimulate the brain to coordinate movement, you stimulate the areas that are the most sensory sensitive. Just having something in your, in your client's hand can actually improve their balance because stimulate touch, stimulate brain, controls movement, balance and coordination, a very powerful way that we can access this. Same thing through the feet. This is partly why I love barefoot training so much is because your feet are packed with the same mechanoceptors as your hand, which stimulates the brain. So let's take a quick look at them. These are the four main mechanoceptors that are found in the palm of the hand and the bottom of the feet. There are four main ones. You will see that they have different names or different letters. Two of these four nerves are what's called slow adapting. And then two of these four nerves are what's referred to as fast adapting. The ones that are slow adapting are continuously reading the environment. An example of how we use those would be in quiet stance. 
So if I stand in one place with my feet together and I shut my eyes, you can join me if you would like. And as I'm standing here, you might notice that there's a little bit of sway. That's 100% normal. That sway is happening because we're in gravity and you are breathing. So there's a constant motion or wave to your body, almost like a tree. So you can think of our bodies as a tree versus a flagpole, right? A steel flagpole. Trees move and sway with the wind, just like our body. And that's how we become more resilient to stresses that happen to our body. Now, slow adapting mechanoceptors are constantly reading those shifts underneath our feet to maintain quiet stance or medial lateral sway. Now, just as a bonus, that medial lateral sway, the more you sway, there's a direct correlation to fall risk. We'll mention that again later. So now your other two mechanoceptors, those are going to be referred to as fast adapting. Fast adapting mechanoceptors respond to a stimulus and then shut off, which means you have to constantly be moving to stimulate those mechanoceptors. These would be used as an example in walking, running, jumping, anything dynamic, you are stimulating these fast adapting mechanoceptors. Now, what are they specific to? Let's start with the slow. You have, if you look at the slide, you can see SA1 Merkel disc. This is sensitive to what's called two-point discrimination. Two-point discrimination is like Braille. When you look at Braille, go to an ATM and you can see the Braille dots on the ATM. The two-point discrimination, differentiating between the two points, stimulates the nerves on your fingertips, which stimulates the brain, and essentially you're reading, but if you had that same texture underneath the feet, which is what we have on all of the Nervoso products, you stimulate your homunculus to your somatosensory cortex, and that helps with balance. Your second slow adapting is going to be a Ruffini ending, which is sensitive to skin stretch. This is where you will stimulate it if you use kinesiology tape or actually any athletic tape will stimulate. When you do any sort of foam rolling and the foam roll is made of silicone or something that adheres to the skin. When you get a massage, you stimulate it. When you're on a surface that is rough or tacky and your foot is sticking to it, you stimulate the SA2 skin stretch. Now let's take a look at the two that are fast adapting. Both FA1 and FA2, if you look at the slide, it says vibration, vibration. So low frequency vibration, high frequency vibration, both of those nerves respond to dynamic movement. And what vibration is during dynamic movement? Ground reaction forces. This means that every time your foot hits the ground, when you're walking or you're running, you feel vibration. And that vibration stimulates those fast adapting mechanoceptors. And guess what happens? That tells the brain how hard you are striking the ground. That is used to coordinate movement. So now I meant, why I mentioned this is that by understanding exteroception, you can often incorporate exteroception while training interoception because touch is a way that people feel grounded, anchored, connected, safe. So that is something important to understand. If you have a client, for example, that is maybe getting really anxious, they're going into a fight or flight state, 
what you can do is have them, just cue them, say, feel the ground underneath your feet. If they're barefoot, that would actually be better because they could actually feel the ground. If they were on an abosa mat, of course, they would feel the texture. If they were on a vibration platform, they feel the vibration. But you cue them to that exteroceptive sense and then have them say, I feel my feet, right? I am grounded. I am anchored. I am on this earth, right? I can feel it. And I don't mean to go too deep to the left side, but it really works for people to feel connected and grounded. And we really want to tie that into interoception. So let's remember the exteroceptors, but let's take a deep dive into interoception. Interoception is deeply linked to your exteroception. And you might be wondering, how? How do I connect my external environment with my internal environment? There is one key word here, and it starts with an F. I'm wondering if you can guess it. It is fascia. Your fascia is how we connect our external environment with our internal environment. Now, if you think of fascia right now as Yes, tissue that connects the body, but more so just from a movement perspective. I now want you to think of fascia from a deep sensory perspective. Your fascia is really an extension of your brain. You have over 100 million sensory nerves in your myofascial web. That is huge. I feel like I just need to repeat that. 100 million sensory nerves in your myofascial web. It's an extension of the brain. It is sensory seeking because it has so many sensory nerves. It plays a very important role in balance and stability and perception and body awareness and foot awareness and coordination and so much. This is really what I have built my career around and how I look at my patients is really through a fascial lens and a sensory lens. So let's take a quick look at our fascia to see some interesting facts. Outside of the fact that it has 100 million sensory nerves, it is an extension of a brain, of the brain as I had said, it's also fast. So because there are so many sensory nerves in your fascia, when you're thinking of fascial connections or is your client moving fascially or muscularly, right? So if I'm moving, uh, if you're familiar with parkour, this is a good example. So parkour, which is, uh, they run from an extreme perspective, from building to building, or you can run from wall to wall or object to object, and you just kind of keep moving. Uh, parkour is actually referenced as art du momentum, which is really this art of using momentum. And think of someone doing parkour, right? Or a child playing or a dancer moving. They are clearly moving fascially because there's this fluidity to the movement that they're using. Now that's as opposed to, uh, let's say an Olympic lifter that is doing a one rep max. That is a muscular driven movement. Both are correct, but both are using different types of energy and access points within the body from an efficiency perspective or from a speed perspective, because we're speaking about speed here, Fascial movements are faster. They're more efficient. They use energy. Um, it, it's a smoothness. It's a grace. And, and that's really the way that we want to be thinking of the movement with our clients. 
Oftentimes when you actually move muscularly versus fascially, you start to stress the muscle tendon junctions. You get a lot of injuries because of that. So fascial connections are fast. Fascial connections are sensory rich. They are sensory seeking. They are postural. And then you have special nerves that are found within your fascia. Yes, there's a hundred million, but they have special types. If we take a look at the side, you can see that your fascia contains the SA2, the Ruffini ending, which is skin stretch. So guess what? When you get a massage, you are stimulating the Ruffini ending. And when you stimulate the Ruffini ending, you actually downregulate someone's autonomic nervous system from sympathetic fight or flight to parasympathetic rest digest. This is something really powerful when you're dealing with people that are maybe a little kind of stress type A, high strong anxiety, whatever it might be, right? Is that you can use this to help them regulate. Now they might not be able to go for a massage, but we also stimulate the Ruffini ending when you are foam rolling. So you could do it to yourself, which is why I love foam rolling. Use it at the start of the session or the end of the session. Now, the other mechanoceptor that's actually found within your fascia is the Pacinian corpuscle. If you remember from the earlier slide, the Pacinian corpuscle is the FA2, which is sensitive to vibration. So your entire myofascial web is sensitive to vibration. Every move that we do in the ground, hitting the ground, striking the ground, jumping, walking, brings vibrations into your body. And your entire body is sensitive to those vibrations. Actually, every cell in your body vibrates and that's how it communicates. So vibration is very powerful. And then finally, your fascia contains interoceptors, which is quite fascinating. When you look at the interoceptors, which is the the emotional homeostasis, internal balance, perceptive nerve. Okay, when we look at our fascia, our myofascial web, let's take a look at the slide to see some of these key stats here. 80% of the peripheral nerves in your fascia, 80% of the peripheral nerves in your fascia are free nerves. It's just a type of nerve that doesn't have myelin, okay? Now, 90% of those free nerves are linked to interoception. Interoception is emotion. Am I safe? What's my internal balance? So if you look at the ratio of proprioception to interoception in your myofascial web, it's actually one to seven. Now, what does that mean? It means that your fascia in your body actually plays a larger role in internal balance, homeostasis, am I safe versus movement. How cool is that? To me, that is so fascinating because I'm so fascinated with external sensory input being everything about barefoot, that when you take a look at your fascial web and your body and your nervous system, it actually prioritizes am I safe and emotion and internal homeostasis much more than movement, which is why I do do lectures like this so that trainers and coaches realize that our clients are so much more than just movement. Let's go even further. So now your autonomic nervous system is going to be this link between interoception and your body, your, your autonomic nervous system. So we all need to be on the same page 
of that autonomic nervous system. I'm going to go into it briefly just for the sake of time, but realize that there's a deep rabbit hole that you could dive down when it comes to your autonomic nervous system. But just from general, autonomic nervous system is going to be largely unconscious. This is what's controlling a, a lot of those knee-jerk fight-or-flight responses. It controls your heart rate and sweating and palpitation, all these homeostasis subconscious uh, rhythms within the body. It can be broken down broadly into parasympathetic, sympathetic, and then enteric, which we'll be going into. Okay, so now if we take a look at them, the first branch is going to be sympathetic. This is going to be your fight or flight response that a lot of people are familiar with. Now, fight or flight responses or sympathetic upregulation often is an interpretation by the client that they don't feel safe. That, that's kind of what you want it to be. Now, it, it's most likely that they're not fearing for their lives, but uh, let me give a, a low-grade example of it. Let's say if I, I grew up in a home where my parents divorced when I was very young, and uh, because of that, I kind of moved around and around, and I tried to stay with my aunt, and then I went to various homes, and you just kind of bounced around as a child. You as a adult might not, might not even perceive that that's why you are so sensitive to maintaining control of your environment. And if you start to lose control, that throws you into a fight or flight response because you don't feel safe. Because when you were a child, you didn't feel safe because you kept moving around. You didn't have control over that home base. I hope that that makes sense. Okay, so it can be low grade from that perspective. Okay, now that fight or flight response is, some people will think of it as like the gasoline to your body, right? So it's, I'm pushing on the gas pedal, it's accelerating me into this fight or flight response. It's a mobilization response. Now, this is as opposed to the parasympathetic. Parasympathetic is going to be your rest and digest. This is where things slow down. Um, uh, Stephen Porges refers to this as the socialization state, that you can't interact with other human beings and socialize uh, in the largest way when you are in fight or flight. You have to feel safe to socialize. And that parasympathetic, you would think of it as like the break. Okay. Now, the way that I often describe this to, to trainers and coaches is you want to think about the difference between sympathetic fight or flight, parasympathetic rest digest, one's the break, one's the gas. Okay. But you actually never really step on the gas. So here's my question of the two sympathetic, parasympathetic, fight or flight, rest digest, which one is faster, which is a faster response in your body to control it, right? That might not mean how quickly can you get excited, right? But which one actually regulates faster? I'm sure all of you or a lot of you might be saying sympathetic, fight or flight, right? Because people can like, whoa, freak out, sprint real quick, right? Guess what? It's actually the opposite. Parasympathetic is really what is regulating you and your client's state. So let me give you an analogy to help you understand that. Let's say we're going down a hill and we're a car. So I'm the car going down the hill, right? Because now I'm going down a hill, I have gravity, so I don't really need to push on the, the gas because I'm going down the hill already, right? So what's controlling my speed as I go down the hill is my foot on the brake. So I just slightly have my foot on the brake so I can stay controlled going down this hill. 
Now, in order to get into a sympathetic or to go faster, I don't have to step on the gas. All I do is take my foot off of the brake. And when I take my foot off of the brake, which is parasympathetic, I go faster down the hill. Now, if I want to get, slow myself back down or bring myself back to parasympathetic, I just put my foot back on the brake. Does that make sense? So it's actually regulating your body from an autonomic nervous system perspective is the parasympathetic. The parasympathetic is the muscle that you are training. And the way that you train that, I will be going into that, but let's look a little bit more here. So 80% of your parasympathetic nervous system is the vagus nerve. Have you heard of the vagus nerve? Have you heard of vagal tone? We'll be going into it, but vagus nerve is really the nerve of your autonomic nervous system that is controlling your state. 70% of your vagus nerve is linked to emotion, which means that it is linked to interoception. So the more that you strengthen your sympathetic, or sorry, your parasympathetic muscle, you are strengthening your vagus nerve and your vagal tone, which means you are training interoception and interoceptive awareness. All of those are synonymous. So if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, I want you to do parasympathetic muscle equals vagal tone equals interoceptive awareness. All of those are interrelated. Let me just throw one more in there just as a bonus, because why not? Heart rate variability. That all those, those four just are they're just synonymous. Okay, that's really what we are training. Okay, so now your autonomic nervous system equals vagus nerve, which equals interoception, which equals emotion. Okay, so now how, how do we know the state that our client is in? Sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes people hide their emotional state or their homeostatic state. The way that you can tell with your clients is how they're breathing. Okay, so now if they're breathing a certain way, we can often tell if someone is stressed out or calm, right? So if we take a look at breathing. There's two main ways that people can breathe. And this relates to your diaphragm, which is going to relate to stability, which is going to relate to safety, which will relate to client program. So let's take a look at the two main ways that we can breathe. We can breathe either, here's my diaphragm, above my diaphragm, which is called supra-diaphragmatic or I can breathe below my diaphragm, which is sub-diaphragmatic. Supra, sub. Now between the two, supra is going to be associated with sympathetic. It's a stressed out type of breathing. You could think of it as fight or flight. It's inefficient. It's not stable, right? Yes, they're using all these accessory muscles and they're probably not getting optimal oxygen perfusion through their body, but let's just keep it autonomic nervous system. Supradiaphragmatic is going to be a survival, sympathetic, fight or flight type of breathing pattern. Now, this is as opposed to subdiaphragmatic below the diaphragm is going to be safety. It's parasympathetic. It's rest, digest. It's stable. Okay. Now, parasympathetic, sympathetic. Now, you might not see exactly how they're breathing, right? It's a skill to determine how your clients are breathing. We will go into optimal breathing patterns, but here's some additional symptoms or presentations that your clients might have that tips you off to their diaphragm function, okay? Now, if they have acid reflux, acid, the number of people who are taking 
antacids, proton pump inhibitors, because they have um, acid reflux or GERD is prevalent within this country and probably around the world as well. That is telling you that they have a diaphragm dysfunction. Most likely they are breathing supra diaphragmatically. Here's a fun bonus. If you get your clients that have acid reflux and you just teach them diaphragmatic breathing, which will go into diaphragmatic breathing, then what happens is you can actually get quite a few people off of those antacids. How cool is that? And why that's happening is you actually stabilize the way that it's, it's called an esophageal junction, but the way that acid reflux comes up through the stomach into the esophagus, you actually tighten the diaphragm around it and it controls how that acid comes up. Super fun bonus, diaphragmatic breathing for those with acid reflux. Now, what are some other ones? Snoring, deviated septum, people who are mouth breathers, you can hear them breathing, maybe those that have urinary incontinence. And then for some of them, because your diaphragm connects to your pelvic floor, right? Your diaphragm connects to pelvic floor, so some people will complain that they have pain during sex. That's a diaphragm dysfunction. That's telling you that they're not stable, and they're most likely in fight or flight. Now, interoception is perceived through the, through the autonomic nervous system as far as safety. So if you can get them to feel safe by bringing them into a sub-diaphragmatic breathing pattern, right? They feel safe, okay? You are bringing them back into balance and harmony. Now, you will be able to do the rest of your session. So I often tell trainers and coaches that to do diaphragmatic breathing at the start of your session is helping to bring balance back into that client's autonomic nervous system at the start of the session. So if I'm a stressed out C-level professional and I'm ready for my session and I come in and I'm all, okay, what did it, let's go. I'm, I'm in a fight or flight state. I might not perceive that as stressed out, but I'm, I'm in a stressed state. And then you're going to train me Exercise is a stressor. So if you stress someone who's already stressed, you see where this can start to go wrong. Then they kind of get stuck in that stress state and they actually probably like it. A lot of people get addicted to being in a stress state. What you want to do is take stressed client coming in, diaphragmatic breathing to get them into a sub-diaphragmatic parasympathetic state and now they're down here. So when you train them and they exercise, you are elevating them into a stress state, but in a controlled way. I hope that that makes sense. Now, a way that you can start to do that and combine interoception and exteroception is to use touch during your session, getting them out of their shoes, even just for the movement prep. When they do their diaphragmatic breathing, get them to feel the ground, get them on the floor, take off their shoes, have them feel their hands, have them do foam rolling so they're touching their body. They connect to body awareness while doing diaphragmatic breathing and you are controlling that autonomic nervous system state and then you can stress them. So now how does all of this connect? How do we bring this information to influence our clients' emotions? So let's go into our next concept is that every movement, every movement influences and, and affects really your, your stress levels or your emotional state. So every movement does. 
So regardless of what that movement is, you have the ability to influence your client's emotions. Emotion is fascinating. Now, if you look at emotion and its influence on your body, if you execute emotion, so let's say I, I take an aerial class, since we have aerials on the side, if I take an aerial class or I take a dance class, that is going to affect my emotion. I'm going to leave there in a heightened emotional state, probably happy. <laughs> I love aerials, so I will most likely leave happy, but that is me doing the motion. However, what's interesting is that if I go to a performance, let, let's say I go to a dance performance or I go watch Cirque du Soleil, I'm watching someone move, right? They're performing through movement. That has the same effect on my emotion. I'm going to leave that Cirque du Soleil performance just as happy or happy as if I took the aerial class. And what's even more fascinating is that if you look at the research, it shows that if you look at images of motion, it has an effect on your emotion. So as I look at this slide, and it's a little particular to me because I am an aerialist, but if I look at the slide and these are two brothers who are part of Cirque du Soleil and they're doing straps, me looking at this slide is just like, yes, like I feel so empowered by looking at the image of this movement that these, these brothers are doing. Now, that could be someone rock climbing, that could be someone dancing. And look back at images that are linked to uh, motivational quotes or um, things that are driven to you know, uptick and upregulate your happiness. They really have movement into them. There's people who are doing these amazing feats, someone on the top of the mountain, they're climbing the mountain, they're racing a car, they're running, they're sprinting. They're doing something and that's based off of the science of emotion and movement. Fascinating stuff, fascinating stuff. Think about how you could use that with your clients, okay? Now, movement is the gateway into emotional regulation. But there's a few caveats here. One, you have to understand emotion, right? You want to understand the emotional awareness and then understand what emotion, what movements and what, uh, or how those movements affect the emotion, right? So what is emotion? What is emotional awareness? And then what and how movements affect emotion, okay? So there's something powerful that I'm gonna go over in the next slide. This is called emotional awareness. This is built around the fact that there's a difference between having a feeling and feeling a feeling, okay? I just wanna sit on that for a second is just really think about that is can you can you feel in your own life or with your clients this difference that if i tell myself right i'm having this feeling of happiness like i'm happy emily be happy please be happy right versus i am like embodying happiness let's say i just took an aerial class i'd probably be embodying happiness completely different right so you want to understand that with your clients, that if you are trying to help a client that has depression, anxiety, stress, they're constantly in fight or flight because of work, home, society, whatever it is that's pushing them into this state, and you know that your responsibility as a trainer and coach is a higher influence beyond just external. You are there to help them live their best life emotionally as well. So... The barrier to that is that does your client 
have the awareness to feel the feelings versus just having feelings? Or are they kind of pushing them in a way and they're dissociated from their body? In order to feel feelings, you must have body awareness. You must have self-awareness. You must be identified with yourself. That is necessary. And that is something that we learn as a child. Around one years old is when you start to develop and really hone in, I am. So when a baby looks in a mirror at first, when they're, when they're itty bitty, they don't know that that's them. They see a face, but they don't know that that's them. And then obviously the older that they get, they start to connect. Oh, that's me, 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 that's me. And then that's me in a picture, right? So they, they understand this I am. Okay, that's important, that's necessary. Now there's an I am perspective, but then there's, I feel, I feel uh, internally in my body, I feel externally in my body. A lot of people that go through different emotional states and maybe certain levels of trauma actually disassociate from themselves. So they lose that awareness with themselves. In order to control emotion with motion, you must have body awareness, self-awareness, and what's referred to as interoceptive awareness. If you do not have interoceptive awareness, you will then have this disconnection from yourself and will not feel when you have a feeling. You don't feel the feeling, it's hard for you to manipulate the feeling when you are moving your body because you're not connected to it all. Okay, I hope that that makes sense. So then the next level of how you use interoception with your clients is to determine what is their baseline interoceptive awareness. And I'm going to take you through that right now. I'm going to explain it and then we're going to do it as a group, okay? Now, what I'm gonna have you do, again, I'm explaining everything before you move. What I'm gonna have you do, two options. You can either sit in the chair if you're seated but I want you to turn your palms up because your, your palm can't be down because your thumb has a pulse. And I'll explain why that's important in a moment. But your palms are going to be up and you'll be seated in a chair with your eyes shut and your feet flat on the floor and you're just going to sit there, okay? Or option two is you will be lying on your back just like the video. You'll lie on your back in savasana. So your palms will be up, your body will be relaxed and you're lying straight down on the bed, on the floor, wherever you feel comfortable. Okay, no, not yet, okay? What you're going to do is we're going to be either seated or lying, your eyes are shut, and I want you to feel your heartbeat, okay? You can't, you can't touch your pulse to feel it, you're going to feel your heartbeat. Now, once you feel your heartbeat, I want you to count it. So you're gonna count how many heartbeats you feel. It'll be 15 seconds, I'm timing everyone. Okay, we'll do it two times just for accuracy. Then all I want you to do is stay exactly as you are. Take your right hand over to your left wrist, which is where your radial pulse is. And you're going to feel your actual heart rate. Okay, and you're going to count, keep your eyes still shut. You're going to count how many beats you actually feel. What's your actual pulse? Does that make sense? So we're doing one based off of perception and then one based off of the actually feeling your pulse. Okay, here we go. So find your position. I'm gonna pull up my, my timer, okay? And again, we are going to be doing this two times, 15 seconds each way. So it's a total of four times. I'm gonna stop talking to let you shut your eyes 
and palms are facing up, you're not touching your body, and I want you to start to feel your pulse, your heart rate, just feel it. Okay, and then you're going to count for 15 seconds, starting now. Stop, stay exactly as you are. We do one more and start. And stop, great. So now stay exactly as you are. Take your right hand over to your left wrist, find your radial pulse, eyes are still shut. Body is still relaxed. I'll give you a moment to find your pulse. And then here we go, 15 seconds. Start. And stop. Stay exactly as you are. One more time. Start. and stop. Great. Okay, so I'm going to have you slowly sit up or open your eyes, come back to where you were seated, and now you should have your average of two numbers. So your perception of your heart rate, and then you actually feel in your pulse. Okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to, to divide the lower number by the higher number. So you're essentially finding the percent accuracy. So if I felt I perceived 14 beats in the 15 seconds, and then I felt my pulse and it was 16, right? These numbers are not accurate, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? And then you divide, and let's say I had an 85% accuracy, okay? Now, that accuracy is used to determine what's called your interoceptive awareness. Interoceptive awareness, which is body awareness, homeostasis awareness. It's your ability to connect to your parasympathetic system. It's you feeling feelings, okay? So all this connecting, right? Okay, so now if you have, this is according to the research, if you have 80% or higher from an accuracy, you are said to have high interoceptive awareness, high. Okay, if you have 60% or lower, you are said to have low interoceptive awareness. Okay, so kind of have your number. You obviously don't have to share this with anyone, but it helps you to understand your clients and then maybe yourself as well. Okay, so here we go. You may have a client that you explain this to them and they say, what, my what? How am I going to feel my heart beat, my heart rate without actually feeling my pulse? Like what? That's the type of client that is most likely disconnected from self and might have difficulty feeling feelings. This also is those individuals that might have difficulty regulating their emotions because they do not perceive the emotion as it's rising until they're already at the emotion. 
let's say if they start to get triggered and they um, uh, are quick to get upset, right? And they feel it, they, they don't even feel it rising. They're just like from one to a hundred, whoop, like that. And they are just like, ah, okay? That individual is potentially most likely interoceptively less sensitive. They need to train their vagus nerve. They need to train their parasympathetic muscle, okay? Now, those that have the higher interoceptive sensitivity are ones that are um, more easily regulated through exercise and emotion, and you could do meditation with them, and uh, the yogas and the pelvic floors, and they, they just kind of are all connected to those aspects of internal, external awareness and environments. Okay. Now to train those that have low interoceptive awareness, this is an exercise in itself. Actually, if you look at the research of interoceptive awareness and heartbeat tracking, that's what we just did. Heartbeat tracking, right? Is the exercise that every night before they go to bed, have them lie there in bed and have them just feel their heartbeat with their eyes shut. They can go from their pulse to kind of get the rhythm, Okay, so once I feel the rhythm, can I take my hand away and could I still perceive my pulse? Okay, it is a great way to control the emotional state and start to build that body awareness. This is in addition to diaphragmatic breathing. This is in addition to bringing touch, hands and feet to build safety. Okay, anything that connects them to their body. So really, this is what we're doing is interoceptive accuracy and sensitivity through heartbeat detection. Okay, so now to take those concepts to your clients, the way that we can start to build this in, I want to try to connect the dots now, okay, as we start to, to wrap up and go into our programming side of things is, yes, we understand what interoceptive awareness is, but how do we connect that to our clients and to our sessions, okay? So this is going to be a great review and recap to connect these dots. We have both an internal environment and an external environment. Oftentimes, as trainers and coaches, we think about the external environment. How am I moving? How do I proceed? How is my foot stepping up on the block? Uh, you know, what is my strength? All of those are external environment perceptions and markers. But the internal awareness or the internal environment with our clients is just as important. That is your perception of homeostasis, your perception of safety, um, the regulation of emotions and feelings. Now that links deeply to the autonomic nervous system. Your nervous system, your peripheral nervous system is a combination of somatic, which means movement, and autonomic, which really means this emotional state that I'm referencing. Somatic would be kind of matched to exteroception, and then autonomic would match to interoception. And there's this constant dance or intertwining between both of those. And the tissue that intertwines those two environments is going to be your fascial system. Remember, your fascial web is not just a movement-based connective tissue. Your fascial web is actually much more emotional and autonomic and internal environment than it is external, which means that if you move your fascia, because fascia is movement, you have an effect on that fascial state. You have an effect on that interoceptive state. 
This could be used to actually regulate someone's emotions. If you have a client that is stuck in a sympathetic fight or flight state, you can use movement, exercise, training to bring them back down into a parasympathetic state. But important, what's important to do so or necessary to do so is that you have to make sure that they can identify with themselves so that you can actually use movement to control the emotion or that autonomic nervous state. That is built around breath work and building body awareness and increasing interoceptive awareness. The breathing is going to be done through diaphragmatic breathing, which we will do just because we have some time, which will be excellent. We'll do diaphragmatic breathing. That's going to bring them into a sub-diaphragmatic state. We're doing interoceptive training, which a great example of that is going to be the heartbeat tracking. Have them, as they go to bed, have them listen to their heartbeat. You can give cues that are more interoceptive in nature versus exteroceptive. Um, this is where you could say, you know, feeling the temperature, feel the rhythm in the body versus do you feel the muscle contraction? So one's interoceptive versus exteroceptive cueing. And then finally, how can you bring touch into the environment to help them connect interoceptively and exteroceptively, okay? If you feel that a client has a difficult time connecting to certain muscles, I find this especially in the pelvic floor. Clients that are saying like, I don't know how to fill my pelvic floor, I can't perceive my pelvic floor, oftentimes have a hard time connecting to breath, Much might have a, a difficult time connecting to their heartbeat. All of those clients need to connect to their interoceptive side of their fascial system, okay? I hope that that makes sense. I hope that that starts to trigger some curiosity. Of course, we had one hour, so it's very difficult to go in, in depth on this topic, but to create the layer of curiosity and all of the trainers and the coaches helps you to see that your clients are more than just movement, okay? Last thing that I wanna do before we wrap up is diaphragmatic breathing. So with the diaphragmatic breathing, what I want you to do, we could do this seated, we could do this standing, you could of course do it on the floor, you could choose any of those positions. So if you are lying on your back, I want you to, I'm gonna explain it first and then we'll do it. You're gonna lie on your back with your knees bent and your feet flat on the floor. For this, please, if you can, I would like you to be barefoot. And if you happen to have a nebosa mat, I actually want you to pull out the nebosa mat and have your feet on it, okay? So your feet are barefoot and maybe they're on a nebosa mat to get sensory stimulation in. If they're not, not a problem. Just be have your feet on either a hardwood floor or, or the carpet so that we can cue to that perception. If you're seated, same thing. Your feet will be flat on the floor. You're on the edge of the seat, so we could do the cueing. Or if you're standing, obviously your feet are on the floor, right? They're on the, the nebosa mat, hardwood, or carpet, okay? Now let's go into the position. Anytime you do diaphragmatic breathing, I give all the cueing and then we'll go through it. Step one of your diaphragmatic breathing is that you want to stack your rib cage and your pelvis. So your rib cage cylinder has to be stacked with your pelvis cylinders. You wanna be in that stacked position. And then what we're going to do is I'm gonna cue you, this is called three-dimensional breathing. The first dimension is going to be that the belly rises. The second dimension is gonna be that the rib cage expands. 
And then the third dimension is going to be that the pelvic floor is dropping. So this is going to be the three dimensions that we're going to key on. Okay. But let's start with one hand on the sternum and one hand on the abdomen. So I'm going to have you assume your position, please. And as you're assuming that position, you're going to, again, feet are flat on the floor. You're stacking your ribcage and your pelvis. Your eyes are shut. Eyes are shut for this so you can reflect inward. Okay. We're going to breathe in and out of the nose only, not through the mouth during this exercise. Okay. I'm going to have you start by just taking a relaxed inhale through your nose. And then exhale. And again. And exhale. Now you can keep doing that as I'm talking. Okay. Now as you're inhaling and exhaling through your nose, I want you to start to notice which hand is moving more. In your clients or in yourself, if the hand that is on the sternum is moving more, obviously you are doing a supradiaphragmatic breathing pattern. That is keeping your client in this sympathetic fight or flight state. At the start of the session, we need to get them into the parasympathetic state, remember? So we want to cue and make sure that they're doing subdiaphragmatic breathing. So if your clients or your hand on the sternum is moving more, you're going to really direct your breath to the base of your belly, to feel that belly rise. If you are with your client, you can actually put a little bit of pressure over the hand. So as they inhale, you're putting like a pound of pressure on the hand. So they proprioceptively connect to where they should be breathing. Okay. So again, let's do that. Let's see. Let's drive into the hand that's on the belly. And then exhale. Again, inhale. And exhale, great job. Now, just because your client is a high-performing individual doesn't mean that they'll be doing this the correct way right away. I've actually treated in my office a lot of Olympic-level athletes. So we are talking in like the creme de la creme, yes? And a lot of them, as soon as they start teaching them diaphragmatic breathing, very few of them actually get that rhythm. They are using these compensatory patterns and if breathing, if they're breathing super diaphragmatically because that's just how they've learned to build their stability, right? They're actually not stable. So try not to make assumptions off of, you know, high level athlete, therefore, ah, they must know how to do diaphragmatic breathing. So I don't need to go over it with them, right? We, we never want to make assumptions, okay? So that's your first dimension belly. Let's bring our hands to our rib cage. Same setup, eyes shut, breathe into the belly. Here we go. Inhale. Feel the belly rise. Keep inhaling. Feel your ribcage expand, expand. And then exhale, ribcage comes in, belly starts to fall. One more time. Inhale through the nose. Feel the belly rise. Keep inhaling. Feel the ribcage expand, lateral, lateral, lateral. And then exhale, ribcage comes in, belly starts to fall. Beautiful. Great. Your last one is going to be down into the base of your pelvis. For that, you could keep your hands here. They could be to your rib cage. They could be by your hips. Wherever you feel comfortable for that one, both hands on the belly. You might choose. Here we go. Inhale through the nose. Belly expand. Keep inhaling. Rib cage expand. Keep inhaling into the belly or into the base of the pelvis. Keep inhaling and then exhale. Everything falls. Belly in, rib cage in, pelvic floor up as you exhale. Okay, let's do that one more time. Big inhale, inhale, really, really fill your lungs. Belly rise, 
rib cage expand and then breathe into the base of your pelvis and then beautiful exhale belly in rib cage in pelvic floor rise beautiful let's do this one more time now we know the three dimensions but this time i'm going to connect it to a sensory Remember, everything is just within your cue. Remember that your clients are barefoot. Their feet are flat on the floor. Maybe they're on the nebosa, okay? So your eyes are shut. Okay, here we go. So we're gonna inhale, inhale, and then exhale. So you keep doing it. Keep doing the inhale and exhale through the nose. Keep filling the three dimensions as you inhale and exhale your pace. Now, as you're inhaling and exhaling, I want you to just start to notice the feet. Start to notice what your feet are on. Do you feel the smoothness of maybe the, the wood or the tile underneath your feet? Do you feel the, the rough texture of the carpet or maybe the nebosa mat? Keep inhaling and exhaling, right? As your hands are on your, your chest or on your rib cage or on your hips, as you do so, I want you to just notice the touch under your fingers. Do you feel the, the fabric of your t-shirt? Do you feel the smoothness of what it feels like? You feel maybe through the bottom of the feet or the palm of the hand, the temperature of the room. Are your hands a little clammy maybe? Are they a little sweaty? Keep doing the breath. Now on your next breath, as you start to exhale, I want you to feel your feet again and then just start to lightly touch the tips of your toes down into the ground. This is done on your exhale. And as you exhale, just lightly touch the toes. So you're feeling that connection into your foundation. Let's do one more. And again, on the exhale, feel the feet, feel the texture, start to feel the toes, connect the toes to the ground, just like a five, 10% connection as you exhale. And then good, release, inhale, and beautiful. You may sit up, stand up, find your seat, bring it back to your, your seated position so we can wrap this up. So that is how I use breath work at the start of the session or maybe the end of the day for someone who's very stressed out. I use that at the end of the day, the start of the day for my patients who are in chronic pain because chronic pain throws people into a fight or flight state, which actually makes them feel their pain more, right? So you are always in control of your autonomic nervous system state by controlling the parasympathetic muscle. The parasympathetic muscle is the brake on the car. The parasympathetic muscle is the interoceptive system. The interoceptive system is the vagus nerve, it's breathing. And we can start to manipulate that by combining both interoceptive awareness with exteroceptive awareness. I hope that you guys found this very uh, enlightening, perhaps triggers some light bulbs or maybe uh, put more question marks in your mind, but I hope that you did find it beneficial and gave you a a light into a perspective of how you can benefit your clients that exceeds just the external. If you would like to learn more about how I use sensory science for my clients and patients and all the education that I write, I encourage you to follow me on social media, which you can see my handles that are listed, and then also to follow on EBFA Global. Thank you so much, and it has been a pleasure.